Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who could do that too, if they had those tools. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, what's up, everybody? It's show number 550, and on today's show, we're doing nothing but answering your questions. We're talking about electricity for woodworkers, cheap hand planes, what to do with old saw blades, woodworking in someone else's shop, snapping bandsaw blades, and fixing sun-bleached walnut. But before we get to that, we want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler's been helping customers create with confidence for over 65 years. Rockler's giving away a $250 gift card to one lucky Wood Talk listener. Enter for your chance to win before May 31st at rockler.com slash woodtalk. I'm really curious as to what electricity for woodworkers is versus electricity for someone else. This should Look, be they're a special <laughs> breed of people. Question? It's, it's different. Different set of rules apply. I'm, I'm very interested in seeing where this one goes because... <laughs> I could I could skip ahead and look, but I don't think I'm going to. That's no, just is, wait for it. I'm going to keep a surprise, nice and fresh for you guys. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to help support the show, you can absolutely do so. You can go to Patreon.com/slash/WoodTalk and sign up to become a patron of the show. I will read your name when you sign up, and this week we're thanking nobody, so I would like to thank uh, Matteo Spagnolo for always pushing his dad to be a better person, create the best content possible, and have the most followers in the world. Yeah, that's what we're going for. All the important things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> views. Views and subs. That's all that matter. <laughs> God. All right. Well, good I'm stuff. Pressed uh, now. That's... So this is a oh. this is a dining table episode where we normally have a single topic that we kind of riff on and, and talk about a little bit, but we don't have one of those this week. So that's why we are dipping our hands into that juicy mailbag and seeing what that we pick up. Stinky pond water. Into that stinky, stinky <laughs> pond water. And uh oh, look at this. Look what I have here. A question from Bob. Okay. Bob's question is about workflow and uh, let's get right into it. He says, how difficult would you find it if you had to complete a project in another person's space? Essentially, how important is your working environment to your work? Um, who would have the most difficult time adjusting to the new shop? Not just anyone's shop um, amongst the three of you. So 
just mm. someone else's shop. I'm, I, let's let's keep it confined to they have roughly the same or at least analogs for the tools you normally work with. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, because that could really three of us uh, like you I put me in Shannon's shop and I would just I don't know what I would do. Awesome. I would, I'd probably oh. just run away. Yeah, I would run the camera all day. That would be so much fun to watch. <laughs> I would be so bored and so ready to do something else. He was like, I'm I mean, they put me in magic shop. I'm probably going to be all right there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I'm very a creature of like my own space. I really do enjoy being in my own space. I think if you put me in a reasonably functional workshop that just isn't mine, it's just somewhere else. It's a little bit of a pain in the butt because you don't know where everything is. The workflow from tool to tool is going to be a little bit different because of a different layout. Um, but I, I can see myself getting used to that. But there is also a feel and a comfort with your individual tools and how they're tuned. Um, if you are, maybe you mm. used one jointer your whole life and then you go use somebody else's. There are jointers that I've tried where things just feel weird. Like the responsiveness of the wood as it goes over the blades the quickness it's with which more the, than a 64th of an inch. Yeah. Cut. Yeah. yeah that people that said it the wrong down. way, but <laughs> yeah, they put it more than a few <laughs> thousands. I'm like, what is this person doing? Um, but it, there's definitely can be like, I'll tell you what, one of the well, big shock was you guys remember from woodworks, um, David Mark's big aircraft carrier jointer. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. You want to talk about an uncomfortable jointer to use? That thing feels like every you feel every blade hit. Like when that knife hits the board, each one of them, it's nice. like it's whack. It really yeah. wants that board to go the other way. Uh, so yeah, track, like that's right something that over you. time you just probably get used to. But it really seems I, like it's trying to. I had the opposite experience because the first joiner I used was in Chuck Bender's shop. And it's the same type of thing. I think it was a 28 inch. It was aircraft mm. carrier type mm -hmm. thing. And I didn't have a joiner of my own at that point. And my first joiner I had was like a six inch grizzly. My only joiner I've had was a six inch grizzly. And I was like, is it cutting? Like, is it Can't doing anything? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's doing anything. It made like seven passes. And so they had like a half inch thick board. And I was like, oh, it actually is cutting. Because <laughs> that's what I expected was that, yeah. you're right, feeling every single blade hit it. Yeah. It was a scary machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't think it would really be I think I can get the job done in somebody else's shop. It would just be a little uncomfortable. What about you, Matt? I, guess, I mean, well, uh, here's a good, I mean, Matt, you've been to my shop. You've built projects in my shop. I have. I think you brought up a good point, Mark, with the whole like analog shop thing. So when I was in your shop, like you have the, the same stuff that I do and you have kind of generally the same workflow. The only like weird thing about it is like the tools are slightly different. Like, your chisels weren't sharp. So we spent some time sharpening your chisels and you didn't have my chisels that I like, you know, you have like, it's like these little tiny things here and there, but I didn't really have a problem like jumping in and be like, okay, this, this is a bandsaw and right. you push this button and the blade goes and it's, it works the same way as being at home. But I also think it's kind of an interesting like side topic with it too, is the type of tools. Like if you have only used a spiral cutter head in your own shop and you go to someone else's shop and has straight knives, mm -hmm. you're like, this is freaking weird. And yeah. scary, yeah. Mm -hmm. even though it's still cutting and everything, it's just it's loud and scary. And the forces like literally pushing the board away from you. It's a very different experience, too. So you mm -hmm. can kind of you can have a whole kind of different experiences with being in someone else's shop. But I didn't really find it hard to be in your shop. I think you would have had a hard time coming to my shop at that time because it wasn't that well organized. And you probably would have like had a conniption fit. 
being like, yeah. why is there literally crap everywhere and how you function like this? I'd have been like, um, these chisels are too sharp. How do you work with these? I touch them and like I stab myself <laughs> and that's, that's it. There's a hole in me now. <laughs> yeah. Or something like that. Shen, you think this is maybe as a hand tool user, may, and correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like that might, your relationship with your tools may be a little more intimate and that Ooh. if something isn't just tuned up just right, we just, you know, like you're going to notice that you're going to feel it. <laughs> So intimate. Oh. Yeah. And there's like a certain amount of dog holes. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, the sharp issue, <laughs> dirty dog the sharp holes. issue is a big one. Um, <clears throat> I've, I've worked in other people's shops a few times. And then of course, when I was still volunteering uh, at the stepping stone museum, that was always an eye opening experience. Every time I'd mm -hmm. go in, somebody had, you know, dinged a tool or whatever. But <clears throat> the thing that I found, I mean, yeah, there's the obvious, like the sharpness of the tools, but it was the, like the, the appliances, like the bench hooks mm -hmm. and the workbench itself, those little things, what really threw me off more than anything else, um, or the lack of a, a decent bench hook or, or I don't know why I keep going back to bench hooks, but, or like a shooting board, you know, this shooting board was terrible. Um, and you know, I could tune up the tools. I could, you know, in most cases I'd spend restoring the tools and get them working again. But that's basically would be the same thing of like going, me going into your shop and like setting up your table saw the way I like it. <laughs> It'd be kind right. of a rude thing to do, but you know, I'm, I'm tuning this jack plane and I'm basically tuning it to my, um, preferences. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was all the other stuff. Um, and the workflow thing really threw me off. Like being able to turn around and not having a saw at my, you know, fingertips and what saw was this and was it bent and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. My big issue was always, um, when I've had to do like on-site work, cause that's just a totally different mindset. Like, um, where you don't necessarily have all your tools and you have to have like part of the work done when you're, you're going and doing like an install of a built-in or something like that. Um, everything is different. Work mm -hmm. holding is different. Every single cut you make, usually the tools you use were totally different. I got a, a massive amount of respect for installers and like job site mm -hmm. carpenters the oh, yeah. few times I've had to do it because it's hard. <laughs> it's just yeah. nothing's flat, nothing's square. You know, the plug is never nearby. Um, there's no dust collection. It's just, yeah. yeah, totally different game. Yeah. We are spoiled as in-shop woodworkers. I oh, think. yeah. Well, yeah. And especially when, I mean, at this point, when I have to bring something home, uh, it's not that big of a deal to bring home a sander and a dust collector and just kind of you know, do a few things around the house. But like mentally for me, biggest pain in the butt. Like I just don't want to even bother doing it, especially now that the shop isn't just attached to the house. It's 10 minutes away. It's a whole different thing. And I get real cranky about it. So I try not to do it <laughs> any more than I have enough to. now. We're just having the barn be a separate space and be like, oh, okay, I walk yeah. back to the shop and get whatever I need. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this is annoying. Yep. Ugh. Frustrating. Oh, well. Okay, uh, we've got another one here, Matt, if you want to read that one. Yep, this one's from Gary. Uh, I was wondering what would cause a three-quarter inch Laguna Resaw King bandsaw blade to snap after just a few uses. I use it to rip down pine for flags. I know I'm not a real woodworker because I use pine. Is that still a thing? Do we still talk about like that? Sure, he knows his place in the, in, in the world. <laughs> he knows his place. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a, a bit of a, of a hotter take on the uh, the resocking blade because I that, I feel like I hear about this a lot where the blade snaps. I think that blade is too thick for most people that are running it on fourteen inch saws. 
I think there's just a hmm. little, it's got too much meat. That's and a you're lot causing, to ask. You're asking a lot for it to bend that to that radius. Every single time it goes around the wheel, it bends and, un, and unbends. Hey, mm-hmm. didn't we just talk about this last episode? Yeah. Metal fatigue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yep, I got it all wrong, too. I personally think that that blade is too big for 14-inch saws. It's, you're fatiguing it, and you're going to snap it. That's my personal take on that one. He didn't say what size saw he has, did he? He, he doesn't, but, I mean, if you're ripping down pine, you probably don't have a big bandsaw. Well, he's not a real woodworker, so it's got to be a small one. Oh, I mean, we're just taking him at his word here. It's probably a 10-inch bandsaw. Come on. That's even worse. See, there you go. <laughs> not like a benchtop one. Yeah. Okay. So your hot take is he's probably using a saw that is too small. The radius is too small. Hey, Lindsay, what's happening? Cool. Good to see you. Say hi. He's going to walk. All right. Thanks for coming by. Laters. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Uh, we already had Ava and Mateo stop by the last episode. I have five kids, two that are not ours, that are like. Oh, well. Okay. That's Bye-bye. mom life. Okay. What are you going to do? Wow. She's very good. <laughs> five kids. Five kids, two are not ours. Matt's like, sucks to be you. She's, she seems calmer than me. <laughs> I look yeah, keep doing my show. <laughs> okay. So let's get back to this bandsaw conversation. So. Uh, I've had a couple bandsaw blades break. Um, the Lennox brand in particular broke, uh, had two of them break and they broke on, um, on the weld and they replaced those. Huh. So that was good. I'd be curious to know specifically on this resaw King where he had the break. Uh, was it on the weld off the weld? You know, what was happening while he, you know, when the cut or sorry, the break occurred. Um, how did it all go down? There's a lot of info we don't have here. Um, but it's not unheard of to snap a blade. I mean, even if what you do have the correct size saw, a real woodworker's bandsaw, uh, you could still snap a blade if you're not careful. Or if, or if, you know, if it's a bad weld or something just doesn't go right, you could have that problem happen. It does suck when it's that kind of a blade, though. Uh, the Lennox, the Laguna Resaw King, these are not cheap blades. So I certainly hope he was able to either get a replacement or something from Laguna because, oh boy. Still, like the, the craziest thing with these things, though, is like that blade for like a normal bandsaw is the same as the carbide blade for my sawmill, which is 26 feet long. And you're like, yeah. how does the pricing on that work? I don't know. We've talked about that before. It makes no sense. I got nothing. It's $160 yeah. for a carbide blade for a bandsaw mill and the same price for a whatever 14 inch bandsaw in the shop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wild. You know what? You guys, you should call Woodmiser if you have a big enough saw and you get one of their carbide blades. They probably like a hundred bucks. There That's you what go. people should do. If you can run inch and a half mm-hmm. on your shop bandsaw, just use the sawmill blade. Maybe it'll work fine. I should probably try that. I need a bigger bandsaw to try that. Inch and a half is a lot. That's what I run. Yeah. How big a wheel do you need you. for that? Probably Look at you. At least 20s. I don't know. A big boy. I don't know. I got 30s out there, so I don't know. I'm rolling <laughs> on some 30s. <laughs> rolling on 30s, baby. <laughs> uh, all right, Shannon, you're up. Wow. <laughs> um... This is, uh, this is from Tom. Um, his email is Pope. Pope. I'm hoping. Hoping. Is it, is it really the Pope? Pope Tom? I'm just wondering if giving away people's emails is something you should be doing. But <laughs> Well, I didn't, I didn't give but away you, the you whole email. But you do what email. you're going to do. You kind of did. <laughs> Not the whole email. We don't have the domain. Come on. There's only so many. Anyway. <laughs> oh, Science the Pope. He gets what's lots of emails. What's happening to the show? What are we doing? <laughs> Well, anyway, 550. 
Yeah. Yeah. We'll figure it out. We're at that point now. I guess yeah. this is the, we hit the tipping point and we're on the way down. <laughs> yeah. Just coasting from here. Tom says, <laughs> I built a walnut side table from my front porch last year. The morning sun bleached the wood more quickly than expected, such that the table is now more of a honey color. Now that I've moved it inside, I want to darken the wood to something closer to its original brown. What steps would you recommend? Hmm. Uh, I'm concerned about a splotchy stain and sufficiently stand, sanding pesky crevices. I have a, gen, a can of General Finish's walnut gel stain. I assume I can't just slap on a coat of that and get results. I would assume you're right in that. Um, I'm not a fan of gel stains in general because of the fact that the gel hangs up in those pesky crevices and tends to, like, by design, be more of a splotchy finish because it it's gel and it hangs in all those little crevices. Now, if you don't have a whole bunch of crevices, walnut is not a particularly open-poured wood. Um, I would say a couple things here. Uh, first of all, take the top off your side table and experiment on the underside of the top or experiment on the back of it a little bit just to give yourself a little bit of wiggle room so you're not you know, necessarily screwing up the show surface. Um, you want to do uh, a little bit of sanding on the surface and see what happens um, to the wood. You may actually refresh that color just by exposing some fresh grain. Doing a little bit of sanding will cause that color to come back. What you've seen is just that top layer, the, the sunlight has bleached it, broken up those chromophores, and that's what's caused that color to change. If you get down a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, like a light sanding, you'll probably get that some of that color to come back. Even then, I think it's probably worth, um, unless you want to really sand and go all, all the way back to the, to the raw wood and start over, which certainly would, would get you there. But I do think adding a little bit of a pigment may help just to kind of homogenize everything. Um, the various areas that have faded, one area faded over another, you can kind of just nip that in the bud and just add a little bit of color. If I did that though, I would use a dye. I would not use a stain and I definitely would not use a gel stain. The difference being the dye has much, 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 much smaller pigment particles. So it's gonna lay out much more evenly. Um, you're not gonna get the splotchy type issue that you run into with a thicker, larger particle stain or gel stain. Um, but I definitely think depending on what that finish is that's on top, you are going to need to get rid of that finish so that the dye can actually soak in. So by doing that, you may actually refresh the wood so much that you don't even need to add pigment. So mm -hmm. start there with a bit of, of sanding, I think. Um, if you're completely versed to like removing the finish altogether, you could mix some dye into a finish. You could mix a little like water-based dye into a water-based varnish or even use those like drops, transtent drops, or um, there's, depending on whether your finish is oil or water-based, you want uh, a dye that is also oil or water-based. Mm -hmm. um, you could even use shellac with a little bit of dye into it to apply a top coat over that. If you don't want to like kill whatever top coat and sand back to raw wood, that's another way to go. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, gel stain, not a big fan to me, gel stains just automatically go all the way to that kind of shabby chic kind of country style rustic finish. And that's really what they're designed for. Or like, um, artificial antiquing of a surface, not smooth, cohesive color. Definitely not. I think you can get that with, with those finishes. I just think it depends on how it's used in the wood species. Cause I, I've used it to color you know, woods that are a little bit more, I don't know, like a, a red oak or something like that, that takes stain evenly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah and it can be, it can be used for that, but 
in the case of a refinishing job like this, that's already going down the path of something that's going to be kind of blotchy and maybe absorbing unevenly. He, he hits it with that gel stain. It's, it, it'll make it darker, <laughs> but it's definitely yeah. going to look, it's going to look very <laughs> well, different at that point. The gels also, they're real hard to describe, to disguise like wiping marks and brush strokes and things. Mm -hmm. All yeah. that mm -hmm. stuff just kind of stands out in high relief. A dye, you can get it real dilute and it will just, you can literally put it in a spray bottle and just spray it on yeah. and then wipe it back. And you're going to get a good, even color that way. Gel stain. I'm just, I don't think I'm a good enough finisher. When I use a gel stain, it, all I see are wipe marks on the surface. Yeah. And then Gotta the go more fast. I wipe, go the less pigments on the wood, you know? <laughs> right, um, right. So yeah, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work well for me. I oh, would recommend, ago, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, fine. You go. I'll let you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Year, years ago, I saw, or watched one of uh, uh, Guy's videos from uh, Guy's Woodshop. And oh, yeah. He always pigments walnut because he doesn't want it to um, discolor over time, turn more of that mm -hmm. uh, brown red look. So he always applied uh, trans tint with some, uh, I think it was an alcohol maybe? Maybe the niche alcohol with some trans tint in it. And he would go over the mm -hmm. whole surface with that. And that would give it like, it would kind of lock in the walnut color and then apply his yeah. finish like normal. It's like super easy to do. You just get it on there and that's it. Yeah, I think in this case, yeah. if he's if this thing is staying outside, then anything you use, this is either going to happen again or you got to use the right materials that help prevent that from happening again. Um, so, you know, I, I, there's no way I would not sand this thing. I would be sanding it down. Try to get down the bare wood. Don't worry so much about the cracks and crevices. It's like it's an oh, outdoor going back outside. I thought you like brought it, it inside to like keep it inside or something. Oh, that's right. Didn't he say that? Did you say he's bringing? Well, it back and inside? it wasn't outside. Oh. Well, I don't know. Front porch that okay. could be an enclosed porch. Well, either way, well, I've I've had real good luck. This goes back to what Shannon was saying about some kind of a pigment that's really helpful when UV is at play. Um, one coat. Uh, I'm sorry, Osmo has like really stupid names for products, but Osmo's one coat only HS plus in the walnut <laughs> color is going to be a single coat pigmented finish. That's kind of a brush on wipe off excess type thing. That still lets the finish breathe. You're not putting a, um, you know, the wood breathes. You're still uh, getting protection from moisture and things like that, but it's not a thick coat of finish. And that is something with those pigments in there that's actually going to look good in a couple of years. It's not going to um, to lighten up like the, the natural walnut did. So that's just something to consider if you are keeping this outside and you want a finish that's going to hold up. Maybe in a couple of years, three years, maybe you might um, give it a little sanding and apply a fresh coat. But I've got a table with Western Red Cedar. Uh, that's been about two, three years now in two different states and very cold and <laughs> humid and then dry and then humid kind of weather. And it's holding up great with that finish on it. So something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. The the refinishability of it is something mm -hmm. I know you don't want to think about that right now because you're just now fixing it. But the inevitable is that you'll have to probably do this again in three, yeah. three years, four years mm -hmm. with that kind of exposure. Yep. And the choice you make now really affects how much work you're doing later. So, right. all right. Well, speaking of outdoor furniture, you could start building outdoor furniture for your space with the help of Rockler. Rockler, <coughs> excuse me, offers outdoor furniture templates and hardware 
for several different designs, including modern patio furniture. Maybe a nice little side table made of walnut, huh? huh? Adirondack chairs, a portable outdoor chair, an English garden bench, and more. You can also find tips and tricks for your projects, including choosing the best woods for outdoor furniture and choosing the best finish. Find everything you need to start your building. Sorry, I'm just out of it today. Start building your projects in stores or at rockler.com. Uh, they're going to have everything you need there. Do you know if they carry, um, I don't think they carry Osmo there, do they? Oh, look. Mm-hmm. But they got plenty of other outdoor friendly, outdoor friendly finishes. Yeah. And Rubio does have an outdoor, I think it's called like hybrid wood protector. That might be something you would look yeah. into as well. But I don't think they carry Osmo. Let me look. I'm going to look right now. They do carry Osmo. Look at that. <laughs> so there's a, uh, let's see, they've got. So excited. I know. I don't see the One Coat HS product that I recommended, but they do have their um, UV protection oil, which is definitely something more along the, the lines of a clear finish that would be pretty good, too. So something to think about. OK, well, thanks for that, Rockler. Sorry, my lips aren't working today. OK, we got questions, guys. So we, we did some questions. We did an ad. And now we're going to do more questions. Oh. Yay, more questions. This is Super cycle. exciting. This is All from right. Bradley T-Bone Feely. Okay. <laughs> what a name. That's, That's a great. good one. I, I do enjoy T-bone. that. What's his email address? How do you get the nickname <laughs> T-Bone? Wasn't that a um wasn't that a Seinfeld episode where George wanted to be called T-Bone or something like that? And no one would no one would adopt the nickname. Right. Sorry. You're the resident There's a Seinfeld couple pe- expert. A couple people listening understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> Or do they? Was it T-Bone? I don't mm-hmm. know that it was T-Bone. Well, anyway. He wanted Carry to be T-Bone that. or something like that. Yeah, something like that. I'm oh, sorry. Wow. Go ahead. Are you done? Mm, I've been done. <laughs> All right. Uh, over the past year, I've been slowly building up my wood shop in my garage, and I'm wondering what electrical knowledge I should have to ensure my safety and the safety of my tools. I currently have a table saw, planer, bandsaw, router table, lathe, and I'd like to add a... 8 to 12 inch jointer as well. I typically only use one tool at a time with the addition of a dust collector and air filter. I know the difference between 220 and 110 outlets, but what else should I be aware of when it comes to breaker sizes or any other electrical considerations for a home wood shop? Hmm. I think electricity for woodworkers. There we go. Maybe call your favorite electrician and see what they have to say (laughs) about that. Because without any specifics, I'm not really sure what general overarching wisdom I can pass along here. Yeah. Well, I would. I can add a few things. I mean, yeah, of course, sure, go for it. We definitely have to say that, like, you know, what Matt's saying is totally the case. It's it's a little bit scary if you're really not familiar with this stuff. It's not. If you have a comfort level and you've educated yourself enough and you feel confident, then you can go ahead and do some of this stuff. But if you're not confident. Electricity probably isn't the thing you want to DIY. You know, if you don't know <laughs> for sure what what you know what I mean, where your skill set is and what you're able to do to, you know, to adhere to certain local codes, that's why electricians are there. They do this stuff all the time and they understand it. So I mean, that's kind of the disclaimer here before we say anything else that you probably should consult an actual electrician. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, thanks for the support, guys. That's all I can say. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm agreeing. Like, when I needed electricity done, electric work done in my shop, I was like, all right, well, I probably should put a 20-amp 
you know, breaker in for this just because mm-hmm. of, you know, some of the startup spikes of hand tools, hand power tools and things. And I was like, all right, that's about all I know. So I just called an electrician and yeah. he added the breakers to the box. And he also swapped out a couple of other ones. Cause again, my house was built in the sixties. So there was some stuff in there that while technically was two code from a grandfather perspective needed to be updated. So it was like, and it wasn't, it wasn't super expensive either. So it was mm-hmm. just, and I just knew I had the peace of mind that like nothing was going to catch on fire and I wasn't going to be tripping breakers left and right. And if I was tripping breakers, it was probably something that I did and not like Mm -hmm. something I did because I DIY'd it earlier. You know, the foundation was strong. I think there's a few things that come to mind and this is whether you're doing the work yourself or you're hiring it out. You need to know what to ask for, right? If you get an electrician out there Mm -hmm. Um, and things that I try to do in my shop, number one, I want 20 amp outlets. um, If it's 110. Uh, 15 amp will work, but 20 amp is better. So if you're running new lines, you got that extra, you know, headroom there, you'll be much happier with the uh, the 20 amp um, receptacles throughout. Uh, if you're making a receptacle, it's not a bad idea to do a little, uh, what do you call it? The double gang outlet, the duplex. What's that? What's that called? See how good we are at electricity. I don't even know what the stuff is called, where there's two, uh, two outlets in one box. It's just I nice to have it's called the duplex. Is it a duplex? What, what do I know? I'm a woodworker, oh, it's a duplex, uh, but duplex. I want two. If I can, Looks like I'd like to have two because it doesn't take long. Uh, what happens with shop layout is a lot of times you don't know exactly where things are going to go. And then once you do start to find places, the electrical like work is already done and you might find that you're overwhelming just a single outlet. So now you got to put, um, you know, some kind of, uh, um, I don't know, extension cords and, uh, you know, surge protector or, you know, other things on there just to get more things plugged in. So, so stack the cards in your favor, put two together on each one of those locations. Uh, another thing you're depending on what you're doing with 220, you're going to need 30 amp and 20 amp circuits, right? So you do want to think a lot about that. If maybe, you're, maybe, maybe he's doing bigger stuff. He could be doing uh, three phase and then we're really getting into uncomfortable territory. <laughs> But you need to know what the power requirements are for these things, right? So one thing that will happen with an electrician is they will likely tell you if you are asking for 220 circuits, they will say, you know, if if I say, well, I want one 220 circuit, it's all going to be 20 amp, give me three receptacles along this wall. And they're going to say, well, you probably shouldn't do that. And then you're going to say, well, that's what I want because I'm a one man (laughs) shop. I'm only running one tool at a time. I'm not going to overwhelm the circuit. That's the kind of thing you need to know ahead of time. So, you know, even if they know what they're talking about, you could explain Mm -hmm. to them why you're not going to overload it. Just because three things are plugged in doesn't mean those three things are running concurrently. Uh, The other thing is if you have a dust collector or you plan to in the future, make sure that does have its own circuit because by nature that is going to run at the same time as other things. So that should be on its own circuit. Um, and then also, you know, for efficiency, this is not something, I don't know if this is to code everywhere, but it has been at the places I've lived is if you run a 20 amp multi-wire branch circuit, you can actually have two 20 receptacles and one 10 receptacles on the same line as oh, it wait, runs through your shop. That one. <clears throat> they do. It's a good one to argue about. Go look it yes. up. But good if, job. if it's to, if it's to code <laughs> and, and a licensed electrician oh. is willing to do the work. I then I the say go for electrical it. can of worms that we have as like home woodworkers shop things is the Could people be. that do that and say it's OK. And the people who say that's the most dangerous thing you can do. Electric is like I mean, electricity <laughs> is like that online. Everybody online <laughs> is a closet electrician, right? Like they, oh, yes. they know all about this stuff, except for the thing that changes from state to state is code. 
and what they're allowed to do and what's it's the same thing when I was uh, showing the you know footage of building the shop in Arizona and people are freaking out over the things that are just standard practice there but colder There's no climates footings. How deep your footings are right there on the ground. <laughs> They're How just on the ground, man. <laughs> Here they right. got to be like four feet down. What are you doing? Right. That's never going to last. Well, there's no frost line. So First time it freezes, this thing's done. It's same gone. thing like with, with roofing and things <laughs> like that. Like all these things can be different in different climates and therefore, you know, like different areas have different rules. So this is something you got to be real careful. If you're trying to educate yourself on this stuff, just be careful with what you're, you're, you're doing and understand that every place might be a little bit different. And if you're uncomfortable, call an electrician. Here's maybe a small life hack for this. Call an electrician the first time and see what they do and how they run all these things. And they're probably going to run them, of course, to like the proper ways. And then you can mimic those. That's like actually to, a great to some, idea. To some extent, you know, so you can see like I have all my stuff in conduit. So they actually can use, well, it's here. They can use the conduit itself as the grounding for the whole system. So I don't have actual ground lines running through all my conduit because the grounding is through the actual, the, the tube, the mm-hmm. pipe, the grounding system. So that's like they can, they can do that here. I probably would have pulled the ground line myself because I'm like a little bit of extra, but that's something I just kind of like, didn't really think about before, but that's okay here. It might not be okay yeah. where you're at though. So don't, please don't do that. <laughs> right. Where you're at. Maybe yeah, you can do that there. Maybe you need a separate actual grounding line. I don't know. But like things like that, you can kind of see like, yeah. oh, they did like this, this little detail here and there. And then it, because a lot of stuff electrical, like if you haven't actually seen it, like for real, mm-hmm. it's all just like theory and like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> But it actually, like, once you look at what's been used, the type of wire they've run, the diameter of the conduit that they've run. Well, like if the it's, connectors, you know, the, what kind of connectors are they using at the box? Are they using bushings yeah. here or there? Like, there's a lot of like, <laughs> right. real detail things that you can really pick out if you actually see it in person done yeah. correctly. So then then just bring the them in. thing over and over again. Just bring them in to wire up one single outlet. Yep. <laughs> and then just, you can... <laughs> You can figure out the rest yourself. Leave, leave all the covers out for me. I want to see everything. <laughs> Take nice lots of pictures, filming, <laughs> make him uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. yeah, don't mind me. Got my camera here. All right. Good stuff. Uh, oh, thanks, Shannon. Here's a tip. I want. Here's a free Uh-oh. tip. Label everything. Actually put the circuit labels on the boxes themselves. If you ever need to turn that circuit off, you know exactly which breaker it is. Both the label in the panel and the label on the box itself will tell you which breaker mm-hmm. it is in the panel. That's kind of a fun little thing that I like. So I don't even think well, about what it. What fun it's is that? Then you can't play the circuit hunting game. Yeah. You can. You just, one of my- can we just wipe off the labels first, and then you can go through and play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, get your finger good and wet first, and wipe yeah. off that electrical circuit. Okay. Just ground yourself first. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine as long as you're holding the conduit, because that's grounded. Uh, I'm just finding uh, another another benefit. I don't I know like if that's a, better. The handle shop per se. <laughs> just say I'm not an electrician, but I feel like that's not what yeah. you want to be. Yeah. Look, T Bone, you wrote to the wrong podcast. What can I say? <laughs> right. First, first thing, don't ask a woodworking podcast an electrical question. There's yeah. the first right. thing you went. Go wrong. go follow Angry Sparky over on TikTok. He'll sort you out. There you go. Right on. All right. Here's a question from Joe. He says, I bought this cheap Graz plane at um, <clears throat> the other Rockler 20 years ago. Um, huh. That's not what he wrote. but Not the Canadian no. um, Rockler? 
Mm-mm. Not the, the other Canadian American Rockler, one. but the other Rockler. Um, <laughs> he says, although I know I suck with hand planes, I think this plane sucks. Which is it? Hint, it's usually me. I've done all I know to get it tuned properly, but I also get great results my, with my Lee Nielsen low angle block plane. Have I gotten what I paid for or do I have to go back to plane school? So, yeah, here's the thing. Um, whether it's a Graz plane or any uh, of the other number of $20, $10 hand planes that you can find out there at the other Rockler or other various big box stores. What's the expression? You can only dress up a turd so much. You can't shoot a fish. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Pick pick your favorite expression here. Uh-huh. There are There are some fundamental things that make a good premium hand plane work well. Um, and that casting that body casting is a major, major element of that. So you you read a lot of, you know, how to tune hand planes, how to soup up this vintage hand plane, all that type of stuff. You can, you know, sharpen the blade, of course. You can fettle the frog. You can fettle the attachment of the frog to the sole, the, the blade to frog junction. Um, the, the chip breaker can be fettled. There's all kinds of things you can do. Flattening the sole can make that whole thing work better. Um, you can replace the blade with a modern blade that's machined to some tighter tolerances and things like that. But the casting is literally the foundation that it all rests upon. So if that is not cast well, uh, or it's used a lesser quality um, cocktail in in the in the alloy that they've used to put it together, or it's just not done in a in a particularly um, in a quality controlled foundry, you're going to have issues. That steel um, is going to move. Um, that whatever that is, I'm saying steel very generically there. Um, I remember I went and visited um, Thomas Lee Nielsen. This is back in 2011 when I did some social media work for Woodworking in America. I got a chance to interview Thomas and get like really in depth with what he does. And it was a very eye-opening conversation. I had always kind of dismissed the foundry part of making a hand plane. Um, and he went into the nitty gritty that he had to go to in order to vet the foundries that he works with. Um, by the way, Lee Nielsen ended up buying their own foundry. They bought a company in order to guarantee the quality control. Mm -hmm. The amount of castings that get disposed of and get melted down and, and recast to get like, you know, the one that they used is enormous. Um, now, I think that may have gotten a little bit better since they've kind of fine-tuned all that, but there's a lot of things that can go wrong with that. So that is one of the reasons that Lee Nielsen, and Veritas, and those guys have expensive tools. That foundational element, that casting, that big heavy bit that all the other stuff is bolted onto, that in and of itself is very sound and very solid. When you start buying a plane that's $20 and $25, where are the corners being cut? Um, and I guarantee you that's everywhere. the most expensive part. Well, yes, everywhere. <laughs> the answer is everywhere, but <laughs> the one area no you don't want to, <laughs> right. There are no corners. <laughs> Everything's just kind of a big circle, yes. um, a big circle of schmutz. So the, the casting itself, and I picked up some of these Graz planes. I've looked at some of the ones that you get at home Depot. Many times they're not cast. Sometimes they're pressed stamped steel, those, so say you flatten it, you know, that's the problem you're getting with the plane is the sole is not flat. So you're not getting, um, you're not just, you're not getting good results at all because it's not flat. So you flatten it. Well, 
it's going to go out of flat on you again. You know, either the steel is is too weak and you're actually bending it, or when you actually put tension on the lever cap, you're warping the entire um, casting. Um, or you can get the those castings themselves will move if they have a certain amount of air pockets. If the alloy the alloy is not um, perfectly mixed, again, I'm running into the limitations of my skill set, but just tapping into what Thomas Lee Nielsen was telling me. All these little things add up to little imperfections that can cause that that base to move, whether under pressure or over time, all kinds of little issues there. So in this case, Joe has, quote, I've done all I know about to get it tuned properly. We don't know what that is, but even if he replaced the frog, replaced the blade, put a new lever cap on, fettled the ship breaker, if the, the casting itself is crap, and I can guarantee you, having played with some of those planes, it's crap. It's crap because you paid like 20 bucks for it. These things do not cost $20. <laughs> they cost money because there's a lot of work and raw material, quality material that went into that sole. So um, in this case, Joe, it's not you. I think this is the case where you can blame the tool. Um, I really don't think you can tune it up. All those things on the internet about tuning up vintage planes, the key there is it's a vintage plane. A vintage Stanley is a much, 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 much higher quality tool than the mass-produced, modern-manufactured, plane-shaped objects that mm-hmm. you buy in big box stores and and other rocklers. Um, hmm. So yeah, I don't think you have to go back to plane school. You just need to get a better plane. There you go. Buy a vintage one. Apply everything you've if learned you to tune up your Graz plane and buy a vintage one. It's probably still as expensive almost these days <laughs> right. as the premium ones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's only so much you can do. Um, what you could do is just turn it into like a scrub plane or a four plane where you don't have to have a flat sole. You don't have to have a tight mouth. All you need is a sharp blade and something to kind of hold that blade at an appropriate, consistent-ish angle. So th- your Graz plane can be perfect for that. Um, go for it. You now have a four plane. Lucky you. All right. Well, <laughs> last, uh, last question here is from David, and it's in the form of a voicemail. We always love those. We haven't had one of those in a while. Hey, Mark Shannon and Matt. Great show. Thanks for all that you do. What do you guys do with old table saw blades? I have made sure that it's not just pitch or buildup, but even after cleaning, if a blade is dull, it seems to cost as much to get them professionally sharpened as it would be to simply replace it, especially since I'm a hobbyist and I'm not working with high-end blades. So is there some sort of clever shop project repurposing or can I just chuck it in the recycle bin? I want to dispose of it responsibly, but I'm not sure what to do. Thanks for not quitting or spitting or knitting or shitting. You like that little pause I gave you so you can edit that out if you want to? Ah, love you guys. Thanks for everything. Bye. David's lucky we have somebody else doing the editing. Because if I was doing the editing, I wouldn't have played the email or the voicemail. Because <laughs> I wouldn't want to yeah. bleep it out. Too much That's work. the explicit tag is listed for. Yeah, something like that. Uh, you know, last um, time I had an old saw blade, I just threw it into the woods to see if I can get it to stick into a tree. And, uh, <laughs> and they got ridiculed. Like got ridiculed <laughs> for stuff. it. So I'm out of ideas. <laughs> uh, a shop shop wall clock. That, that comes yeah. to mind. Um, a paperweight. Can you make like a um, knife out of it or something? If you're really good with metal. You can do that. Yeah. I mean, you there's like, this tie, is what. It, tie it to a rope. You can rope put it in a drawer and, and forget like, about it. With all the other yeah. blades there you go. over the That's years. An option. Sure. Kick it down the road. Um, I can imagine build a, uh, build a you Google bot. this, you're probably going to find a lot of people who've done some cool stuff with old saw blades. 
I mean, do you want to like make yeah. a project out of it or you just want to like dispose of it and get rid of it and recycle it? Yeah. Knock there all are the also carbide people, off and put the recycling bin. Have a nice day. There might even like uh, be people locally, artists and things, <clears throat> excuse me, who might be willing to just take it off your hands too. That's a possibility if you could find them. Paint a pastoral setting on it. <laughs> yeah, notice none of the things we're saying or send it to somebody to have it resharpened because I don't think... I don't think that's an option anymore. Well, he's already established that it's blades. it's kind of cheap, uh, you know, not a super expensive right. blade. I think if we're talking about a hundred dollar blade, a hundred and twenty dollar blade, it's worth right. sending out to get that thing sharpened. Um, yeah. 100%. Well, I mean, like my forest blade, it actually keep, like they said, keep the box because you'll put yep. it in this box to ship it to us to sharpen it. And that's mm -hmm. what I did. Although I do find it funny that he says I don't have an expensive tool because I'm a hobbyist. I usually find that's just the opposite. Like it's the pro guys out there that have the cheaper tools because time yeah. is money and the hobbyists have the most expensive tools. Yes. It's yes. funny though, because you get, you get the hobbyists who are like David seems to be somebody who's making more practical choices. This is just my hobby. I'm not going to put a lot of money into it, but then you're absolutely right. I mean, maybe even the lion's share of hobbyists are the ones who are blowing <laughs> tons of money on stuff that they don't really need. Why? Because they can <laughs> like, and right. it makes it more fun for them. So, right, right. yeah, I know plenty of hobbyists who have a uh, forest woodworker two blades that are worth sharpening and not uh, something you just replace when they get dull. All right. Well, did. we we basically <laughs> said Google that. <clears throat> so that's there were some suggestions of artwork pieces and other <laughs> painting things. it. Yeah. Yeah. See if uh, see if a local um, what do you call it? Cracker barrel. will take it from you. We'll put it on barrel. the wall. Or like a TG I think there's a variety, oh a God. wide variety of Halloween costumes that could be fashioned using a saw blade that could could feature a saw blade. You know, chest armor. Yeah, all mm -hmm. kinds of things. Hey, kids and saw blades, chest two armor. things that go together. <laughs> right? <laughs> two things that okay. go together. Great. Oh, boy. Well, I'm going to put this one out of its misery. Family owned since 1954. Please. Rockler is your go-to source for high-quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use that code WOODTALK to receive free shipping on most orders over $49. And remember to head to rockler.com slash woodtalk to enter for your chance to win a $250 gift card. I ran out of air! Who? $250. So many saw blades. So Lots many replacement cheap saw blades that you can right. bought with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been a fun show. Lots of questions. We might have actually like hit like a dented maybe 1% of our inbox at this mm -hmm. point maybe. now. So we're going to need some more questions, folks. So go to woodtalkshow.com. Uh, go to Instagram, woodtalkshow, or record a voicemail like we just had uh, on your phone and email it to woodtalkshow at gmail.com. Or record it on like a, you know, a Walkman and then transcode it digitally mm -hmm. to MP3. However you want to record it, yeah. willing, we'll, we'll take it. Don't send take cassette tapes. If you do, they just go to Mark's mom's house because that's the address it gives out. Yeah. Yes. So they burden her with a bunch of cassette tapes. Oh. She probably has a tape player somewhere in the garage, maybe. Well, see, there you go. Send your cassette yeah. tapes. To she might enjoy it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next time. You're welcome, Mark. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for being no. here. No, no. Thank you.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.